You know, one of the most common conditions that affects a significant number of people is sleep apnea, which is caused by the obstruction of the airway during sleep. And many people with sleep apnea are unaware of their condition. And if left untreated, it can lead to serious health issues. I know you're thinking or have thought about adding sleep into your practice and helping reduce sleep apnea among your patients. Now, a medical doctor, they can recommend a CPAP machine or you can recommend oral appliances. And these oral appliances will pull the lower jaw forward to open the airway. Now, there's two oral appliances that can help wonderfully with this. It's called ERPS and dorsal. ERPS as in H-E-R-P-S-T. And that allows for more excursive movements. It's more comfortable on the cheeks and it's covered by Medicare. And dorsal, now dorsal completely separates arches allowing for more vertical movement and there's no metal hinge. Did you know Dandy creates both of these oral appliances for you? I mean, they guide you every step of the way to make sure you're doing it right. They ask you, well, what type of sleep apnea device do you want, herbs or dorsal? And they guide you through the entire process while you're actively scanning the patient. The workflow is super intuitive and user-friendly, so the entire staff, your team, can get up to speed quickly, and the case setup is fast. Workflows and scanning is guided so you and your team never miss a step. You never have to second guess when the patient is in the chair now. Did you know that health insurance reimburses an average of $3,000 to $5,000 per case for the treatment of sleep apnea? However, the billing process can be a bit tricky, which is why Dandy has formed a relationship with Neiman Practice Management. They handle medical billing for you, making it easier to navigate the process and ensure that you get the maximum reimbursement possible. So by partnering with Dandy, you can offer your patients a simple and effective solution to their sleep apnea, which is both affordable and easy to use. So if you're looking for a reliable and efficient dental lab to provide high-quality oral and dental appliances for sleep apnea, look no further than Dandy. Visit meetdandy.com forward slash TDM to learn more about how Dandy can help you implement sleep into your practice. And as a listener of the Dental Marketer Podcast, you'll receive $250 in lab credit and a free intraoral scanner when you schedule a demo. So don't miss this opportunity to elevate your dental practice with Dandy. Click the link below in the description and check out what more practice owners and dentists are saying about Dandy. And also, you can go ahead and get started with Dandy today. The first time I had to let someone go, I couldn't sleep the night before at all. Like I was mm -hmm. nervous. I was like crying. I wrote this long letter about how much I love this person and how I'm just so heartbroken. And then I remember when I let her go, I said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I have to let you go. And she was just like, okay. And she walked out the door and I was, <laughs> I was heartbroken that she wasn't as emotional as I was. <laughs> I spent way too much time over this breakup than mm -hmm. she did. Right. So Going back to that and thinking of like where I am today, I realized that in order to be successful, you have to just know that things are not always going to go as planned and that it's going to be like a roller coaster, no matter you're in business for five years or 25 years.
Mary, how's it going? Everything is going great, Michael. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being on. If you don't mind me asking, I know you told me before we started recording, but where are you located? We are in Orange County, California. Our offices are in Orange County and Los Angeles County, actually. We're we're expanding a little bit. (laughs) Really? Why Los Angeles? It's still within driving distance to Orange County. So currently with our offices, we still like to be really present in them, at least visit them once a month or so. And Mm -hmm. now we just want to make it like a 30, 45 minute drive. And um, and we have patients that live in L.A. County that want us there. So we decided to serve our patients. Well, how many practices do you have? So we have seven currently. And um, I think we're going to just keep going. We're having fun doing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you make it sound like so, so funny. Like, you know, let's just keep going and building. So before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Initially, I actually didn't think I was going to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be an OBGYN. My parents were like the typical Asian tiger parents. I wanted everyone to be a doctor. So I applied to med school. I was a med school reject. And um, I moved to Houston, Texas against my parents' wishes and became a Hooters girl. So I loved it. So I worked there. And then I met a dentist, actually, at the end of my shift. And she came in, she had some chicken wings and we were just chatting and she was like, you should really consider dental school. And then I was like, nah, I don't want to be a dentist. I don't want to be in people's mouths all day. But then she, she was like, all you have to do is take the DAT, see how you do. And it'll just open more doors for you. So you should try it out. Mm So I took the, I decided to focus. I took this Kaplan course and I took the DAT and I did acceptable enough to get into USC dental school. And I guess that paved the way for me in dentistry. And so um, went to dental school, not knowing much about dentistry at all. And um, I did pretty well in dental school to where one of my mentors, Dr. Gardner Beale, um, he encouraged me to pursue pediatric dentistry because he saw during my pediatric rotation that he's like, oh, Mary, you're really, really good with kids. You should consider pedo. And I was like, nah, I'm ready to start working, make some money, you know, start my career. And he's like, well, let's just, you know, be a part of the pediatric selective and just, you know, you'll have fun. You um, you really seem like you like it. And he encouraged me to apply to pediatrics. And then I got into pediatrics at the University of Illinois in Chicago. And I finished my residency. Me and my husband got married. He's an orthodontist. And he decided to settle in Orange County. And that's how we ended up here. And of course, because he's an orthodontist, he's like, I want my pediatric dentist wife to refer me all the patients. So I never have to do any marketing ever again. So within the year, I just opened a startup and it was just like luck. You know, we we thought we were going to open in this city. It didn't work out. So at the time, you're very discouraged because you're looking at all of these locations that you think you want to work in. However, everything doesn't align the way that you thought that it would. And so um, we ended up finding our first location in Placentia. The contractor was, you know, who we're still there today. And he owns the building. And he's like, you know what, Mary, like, this is the last suite in this building. I'll pay for everything. I'll pay for to build it out. I'll pay for whatever you need. So you just put the equipment in and it's yours. And so I did. 
And I didn't have much of a startup cost there except for the equipment and a little bit of upgrades and IT costs. But besides that, I was really fortunate in that I found them. And so um, from there, we, I would say within the first three years, we became busy. You know, um, our model is give everyone a reason to smile. And what we mean by that is everyone, no matter what type of insurance you have, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, we think that every child deserves quality specialty dental care if the parents choose that. So, you know, we're not picky with being like a fee for service or a PPL only. We cater to everyone with the best technology and with specialty care. And so that has just been our business model. And when we realize that we're able to become profitable while seeing all different types of payers, it really became something that we loved. You know, like I didn't want to just serve fee-for-service patients. You know, like how could I develop this business model that can be profitable but and also doing what I loved? So that was really fulfilling. And then we started growing really fast to where we decided to open in different locations where our patients were asking us. So we just opened our Lake Forest location a couple of months ago. And I would say 80% of the patients that come through are were our patients that visited another location, moved to South Orange County to where they're like, oh my gosh, we're so glad you're here. And I'm like, you spoke, we listened. You said you guys need to open one in South Orange County. So here we are. So that's kind of where we are today. And it's still a really fun ride. You know, I think when people start to scale by the second or third location, they start to get stressed out. Like what worked at one location doesn't always work with two and what works at two doesn't always work with three. But once you get to three or four and you've systemized a lot of things, it really helps with scaling. And so, um, and so, yeah. It's a it's a fun time for us. And and it also scaling allows your team to have growth opportunities. You know, like if you're in a single location, then you might just be a dental assistant, maybe like a lead, but then where is it? Where else can you go? Right. From there, if you stay there. So my goal has changed from opening one practice to how many more lives can I change? Not only patients, but my team. How can I continue allowing them to grow as we grow? Because they have been with me for so long, right? And you just want to see people succeed. So it's fun. I love it. Nice. That's a a lot. You going? Those little. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Real quick, where in Houston were you? I was. I lived in Pasadena, but the Hooters that I worked at was off the off of Kirby. Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah, Pasadena over there is different than Pasadena in yes, here, right? Yes, very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Okay, so then it's interesting you said no twice, right? You're like, nah, to dental school and then nah, to pediatrics. But you went that way. Right. Why? Why do you think that is? I think part of it was, one, it would make my parents proud that even though I wasn't a doctor, I was some sort of professional. So that was one. And then two, I think that I wanted to push myself into a better opportunity, right? Like I, I actually used to do nails. My parents owned several nail shops growing up. And one thing my mom always told me was, no matter what the skill is, you can always learn more and that'll just make you a better person. You know, mm -hmm. so like 
I still have my manicuring license, even though I don't use it. I still renew it every year. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's fun, right? It's like you, it's a skill that you've acquired, that you've learned and you're licensed to do it. And it's only good for you to learn to do a lot of different things. So now dentistry, I don't practice behind the chair as much, maybe once or twice a month when I'm filling in for my doctors who are on vacation. But, um, but I did it for 12 years, you know, and I really loved it. I feel like I became very good at not only clinical dentistry, but catering to patients' needs. And now I have my second calling, which is developing people and mm. continuing to build my company to, uh, you know, affect as many lives as I can in a positive way. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Now, I know you kind of said like, now you accept anybody, right? Like, or not now, but like, you've always accepted any kind of patient. Does that mean like Medi-Cal, any type of insurance, it doesn't matter? Exactly. So we are in network with almost every payer. The only ones that we are out of network with are the HMOs that require certain criteria that we think are unreasonable. Like, for example, there are certain HMOs that say you have to try at the general dentist three times with failed appointments before we will pay for you to see a specialist, which I think mm -hmm. is wrong because the general dentist knows if the patient is able to tolerate treatment at a general dentist or if they need specialty care, why make them go three times before you'll refer them? Because by the time they get to us after their time, they're so scared, you know? So those are the only insurance plans that we don't take or the ones that I just, I don't agree with their protocol or their, their philosophy. Gotcha. Okay. And then you also mentioned that the, within the first three years of your startup, you became busy. So break it down to us. What were you doing? What didn't work? What worked? So initially, I thought I wanted to be this boutique fee-for-service practice. I think mm. that's the picture that people paint, right? Mm -hmm. And so whenever I was a resident, we saw every payer type, mainly Medicaid as a resident. And then when I went into private practice, I thought that I wanted to be this boutique PPO practice. But then I realized I wasn't fulfilled. I didn't see as many cavities or much extensive treatment. It was a slower pace, um, which is okay, but I like being busy. You know, I worked at a nail shop for 15 years, right? So, I yeah. mean, you're seeing, you have a lot more interaction with people. And so, it, it it's just a different type of practice. It's not right or wrong, but I think it's just like different dental practices in general, right? Some people like to sit and talk with their patients for a really long time. And some people thrive in a fast-paced environment where I like saying hi to five different people. And with kids in particular, they're very impatient. And when the kids are impatient, the parents are more impatient. Mm -hmm. So I like the fast paced type of environment. When I first started practicing, I worked out in Riverside County, where it was like 100% Medicaid. And so when I left that practice to open my own, a lot of the patients would come and see me at Lollipop, where our practice was in Placentia. And um, at that time, I didn't take Dentical because I was like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to open that door, but I'll still see them for free. So the social worker would bring them and I would still see them. And um, I just wouldn't bill or wouldn't charge or anything like that. So then the social worker was like, Dr. Sam, like we can help you. Why don't you just sign up? So then you'll get paid for seeing these patients that, that are driving an hour to two hours to come see you. And I'm like, all right, we can do that. So I called Medi-Cal and they said, you can 
you can choose to see whichever patients you want, whether it's just kids under five, special needs kids, or whoever. You can, you don't have to take every single person, right? You can just selectively decide like which patients you want to see. And then I'll say, yeah, I just want to only see my patients. I don't want to take any new patients, just the patients that I've followed for many years. And so, um, so then we just got slammed with patients because I couldn't say no to anyone. <laughs> I mean, I had this, this thing where I'm only going to see my patients and then, hey, but I have a friend and then I'm telling everyone to come here and we love it here. And I was like, yes, yes, we'll see them. Don't worry. Like, we'll take care of everybody. We can save the world. And so, um, so that's kind of how we got busy was because we were like, you know what? We're not going to say no to any children that need specialty care. And we know we're the best. We're not going to close our doors to anyone at all. You know, if we can help them, we will. And that's mm. how we got from like, kind of like a boutique PPO type practice to where we are today. You're right. hundred percent. So many times we're like, I want to be a boutique. Then I only want to have like work one to two clinical days, right? Maybe good, good days. And then from that point on, have an associate, be fee for service. Where does that come from? Why did you have that? You know, I can't, I can't put my finger on like one particular thing, but I just think people always put Medicaid in like a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's like low reimbursement, people cancel the socioeconomic status, and it's going to run the fee-for-service patients out, you know? And then, so actually what I said was, you know what? Like, we're going to be the in and out of pediatric dentistry, no matter what your (laughs) socioeconomic status is, whether you're Bill Gates, if you like in and out you'll be there, or whether you're a homeless person, you can still eat in and out or someone will buy you in and out right? And so, but there's no selectivity of who goes there it's more of like okay if you like a good fresh burger like it's affordable to everyone so mm-hmm. that's that's where I felt like I don't know I think just my heart is with children and I feel like I didn't go into pediatric dentistry to just serve a fee-for-service type population I went into pediatric dentistry to to help the kids with the best level of care that need it the most and uh, if we could find a way to make it into a profitable business, then why, why won't, why wouldn't you do that? Right. Mm-hmm. Mary, when did that change then for you? When you're like, okay, I, uh, I did my startup. I wanted to be boutique. And then you decided, all right, now we're going to be in and out. Like it felt like there was some part in your, in this moment, maybe it was before, I don't know. You honed in, you hyper-focused on exactly what you wanted to be doing things like that. When did that happen? The moment that I can think of is when I had a family, actually, that had like two or three adopted children that were under Medicaid. And then they had a couple biological children that were like PPO. And so um, parents told me that they would always have to take the Dentical and the Medical kids somewhere else because there wasn't like a quality dental office that took everybody. That was a specialist. And so at that time, I was like, well, I don't want you to have to split up or like feel like you're not getting that quality care. And that's the comments that we get is like, oh, I've I've never seen a Medicaid office look like this or provide this level of care. So I think there's a stigma with like Medicaid offices (laughs) is that they're rundown or the technology's not there or you're not getting the quality of care that you would get. 
But I think that we've changed that. You know, we're like, you know, no matter who you are, you're still going to get the same level of quality. No matter if you're a Denical patient or you're a cash patient, you're going to get the same level of quality. There's no difference in what service or procedure or products or materials that you get recommended um, because of your payer status. And so I think knowing that you can serve everyone. Um, and like I said, that one family was that one moment where I was like, oh man, I didn't realize that, you know, you had to kind of split up your family just because there wasn't one place that you could go that you were comfortable with. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I'm sure it means a lot for the child too. You know what I mean? And when looking back, maybe not in that moment, but like looking back, they're going to, you know what I mean? Think about it and say, oh yeah, we always had to go to like another practice that like re- they heard us, they did all this right. And my brother and sister, they went to the nice one, right? And things like that. And I wanted to go, but looking back, they'll, they'll realize that. But so then when it came to the Medi-Cal, do you feel like sometimes people, or Dentical, do you think sometimes people are like, you know what, Mary, like I, I, I want to accept it. I do accept it and Medicare, but I just, I either have to see a ton of patients in order to make something and pay my team. And then I don't even have time to get, you know what I mean? What's the latest technology? Let's do an admin day. Let's figure things out. Let's make our mission. You know what I mean? Or is it the kind of the other way where it's like, hey, look, I don't want to do that because I'm not going to have the time for and the money to do what I want to do with my practice. Right. I think everyone's goals are different, right? Like we talked about before, some doctors just like to sit and chat with their patients and for quite some time. I'm the type that delegates very well. So what I mean by that is, is my assistants are trained to do a lot of the anticipatory guidance and nutritional counseling, the oral hygiene instructions. Um, They spend 95% of the time with the patient. And so I'm just going in to diagnose, verify, and make treatment recommendations. So I allow my team to really develop that bond with the patient and be the main educator because they can tell them exactly the same thing that I tell them. And it doesn't make a difference if it comes from me or from the assistant. And I feel like doing it that way empowers them too. Um, Because I've hired some assistants who have worked for 10, 15 years, but they've never passed an instrument to the doctor because they said that the doctor likes everything on their tray. Kind of like in dental school, we are the only, like we are our own assistants. So you're used to working a certain way. And so I've had assistants that only hold the suction for doctor and they've done that for 10 years. But when it comes to pre-op, post-op instructions, you know, getting everything ready, you know, informing the patient of all of these things, they've never done that because the doctor does all of that. So, you know, I think for us, we, the quality and the care that you're providing, but also the patient experience is very important. And so do I feel like the patient experience with my dental assistant doing a lot of the talking, communicating, education, am I still able to provide that with the same level of care as if I were to do it myself? And I do, you know, and I think that we, we have, we call like a lollipop dental training academy where we actually go through training for every single person in like their first week, it's customer service training. So they're learning how to talk, what type of energy they're going to bring. And then they're learning all the verbiage when they come. So wow. break that down to me. How does the Lollipop <laughs> Dental Academy work? So the first week is customer service. And then every day you like, welcome, come on to the team. And how does it look? 
Yeah, so after they do onboarding, the first week is, like I said, customer service training. It could be anything from learning all the education. There's a lot of role playing. So I'll just use the baby exam as an example. Like if you have a child and you bring the baby in for the first visit, there's a series of questions and recommendations that are asked, such as, does your child have any habits? What type of water are you drinking? And then depending on what the parent says, we make a recommendation on that. So we do a lot of role playing. So that way, every assistant is trained on not only the guidelines, but also what to recommend and even how to respond if a patient says, not to say the wrong thing, but let's just say if it's a, it's a bad habit, how to say that in a way that's not judgmental, you know? So like, kind of like when you go to the dentist, right? And they say, are you flossing? And they just say, yeah but they're not really flossing like they're supposed to, but they know that if they say no, there's going to be a lecture. Mm-hmm. So there's never a lecture. There's never any judgment zone. Um, the way that we teach our team is, you know, treat them as if they're your bestie, bringing you their baby and you just want to help them, right? So mm-hmm. um, so yeah, customer service training week two, we go into, um, I think, certifications, um, expectations on quality. So a lot of, you know, not every dental assistant, um, coronal polish is the same, you know, some of them don't do it as thoroughly. So we do have like clinical excellence expectations and it's graded. So then they'll get graded on the quality of each thing. And then I think each week they just progress in clinical skill. And then there are expectations of customer service each week as well, meaning Did you get a Yelp review? Like week two, you should have two. Week three, you should have three. Week four, you should have four that week. So they have those expectations too. Wow. Has it ever happened where it's like, hey, it's week four. I I didn't get a Yelp for, you know what I mean? Like, are they just asking or how are they getting these reviews? Yeah, they're just asking, you know, like there's ways that we ask and, um, and their lead or their trainer will help them because sometimes people are shy. But but then you have to get them into the habit of, okay, this is the expectation that you have is you have to get four. But if you got one week one, then you know how to do it. Now you just got to keep doing it. Um, so, yeah, they ask. Gotcha. You mentioned that you have a way to ask. How do you? I don't want to tell you all my secrets, but we get it. You got you, got you. Okay, no worries. Okay. I mean, that's interesting, though. So then how long is that? When is the training process done? Normally it's week seven or week eight. All of the basics have been taught. Then it's just repetition, right? Like if you're practicing uh, space maintainers, then you have a certain level um, before you get that signed off. And then once you, once clinically you, the trainer feels like you are competent, it's like a competency in dental school. Like you keep doing it until you Mm -hmm. pass. And then once they are competent, and our leadership team feels like they're ready for the next step. And then they're, you know, we kind of see where each team member is and what, how they think they can contribute past just clinical skill. And everyone's different. You know, some people want to train, some people want to lead the team. Some people like KPIs and metrics, you know, um, everyone's a little bit different. Nice. So then has anybody ever not like maybe like week four, you're just like, all right, you know, taking, taking you out, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. Oh, Yeah. I mean, there's a certain level of expectation, you know, some people interview very well, but then are really shy Mm -hmm. on the floor. Um, And if they don't kind of break out of their shell and meet the expectation, then we do have those conversations. 
Mm-hmm. Like maybe yes. you're not meant to work with kids, you know, even though you think you are because of X, Y, Z. Does that normally go good, those conversations? Um, I always say we never let someone go as a surprise, you mm. know. So we do, um, you know, verbal conversations, um, written warnings, uh, everything. So we we set expectations um, to make sure that they understand what the benchmarks are. And, you know, and I think if they meet our core values, and, and I think that's the main thing, if you meet our core values, but it takes you a little bit longer to get where we want you to be, but we can see that there's progression, then that's more important. And, and maybe not this role's not for you. Maybe we need to make a lateral move and put you in another department because you're struggling with this. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, so I think that, you know, we we follow traction with like our, our um, meeting cadence and systems. And we do what they call the people analyzer, where if we don't have clarity on whether or not we should keep someone, we just put it across our core values and see if, OK, are you kind? Are you dedicated? Do you have a growth mindset? Do you show leadership quality? Um, are you, you know, team player? And then if they do seem like they have all of our core values, then we say, okay, maybe they're just struggling with this. Maybe they'll do better in billing or maybe they'll do better in this role um, because we do feel like they fit our culture, but they're just a slower learner or maybe they're not that detailed in this, but they're super customer service oriented. So maybe we can put them in a people operations role or something. Okay, that's interesting. And so when that happens, let's just say, for example, you're... They don't meet one or two core values, but you're kind of dry on that role. You know what I mean? Like, or has that ever happened? I know that's happening a lot to a lot of us out here right now where we're struggling looking for team members, right? Um, But when it comes to you where you're like, okay, we need this. They're not the best fit, but we can do for now. Do, Do you do that or no? So if someone's a straight no, so we do it like a plus, plus, minus, and then a minus. So if they're like, let's just, I'll just use proactive, right? So if they're like kind of proactive sometimes, but then sometimes they're not, they'll get a plus minus. And that means we can work on it. But if they are, one of our core values is dedication and they're like, no, because they're late every single day and they call out, then we say, okay, this needs to change right away. And if they're late for the next 30 to 90 days, I think is what they do. If they're late one time in the next 90 days, and that could be grounds for immediate termination. So we we really do stick to the core values when it comes to if you're not dedicated, you're not dedicated because you call out or you come in late every day. That's disrespectful to everybody that comes on time. And it's showing that we as a company tolerate that and it goes against who we are. So we have let very good skilled people go due to not fitting our core values. And it and it always ends up being that the team appreciates that. They're like, oh, they were late every day. Like, why should I come on time every day if they're allowing that? So we do um, we do do the people analyzer. And like I said, it does give you clarity on whether or not someone fits who we are. Gotcha. Okay, that's interesting. Now, you also mentioned that once you open the first practice, second, right, you systematize. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the times we think when we open a practice, number one, we're like, got it. I know the blueprint. I can do the same thing for the second one. Is that true? No, you always have to pivot and change because there, 
you know, like I'll use one perfect example. When you have one location, everyone, you can probably verify all your own insurance, right? You don't really need help. You're not that busy or you've come up with the way that works. But then as you will, in that one location, as you grow, it's going to put a lot of stress on your team. What we do is we say, okay, guys, what is it we could automate? And what is it that that's causing you a lot of stress right now that we can help with? And from there, we come up with a solution to help with that. But I think as you're growing more locations, um, it's not going to be the same. You know, like you have more team members, you need more managers, um, you centralize a lot of your services, you know, because you don't need a biller for each office. Now you can have a biller for four offices. You know, for me, it's kind of fun building out different parts of our organization. Um, but, you know, there's so many things that change that I couldn't even put my finger on one thing. But I think the main thing is people, you know, like the larger that your organization gets, you know, you're in, a, in this example I love to use is like when it's just you and five people, your influence is really strong. You see them every day. You work with them every day. It's like a Wi-Fi signal, right? Like you're there and they like you're really in tune. But as you grow, your Wi-Fi signal gets weaker and weaker. So then you need people in place that's going to keep that signal strong. And so they say one person can effectively manage up to five to seven people. And I do believe that. Like once you get to like 10, 12, 13 people, then you're not as effective in leading those people. But but yeah, there's there's so many things that change. It's hard to just say one thing, but I think just keeping up with what your needs are and knowing that you need leadership in place to make sure that each of the team members still feel loved and cared for and and engaged. And it doesn't necessarily have to be you, the doctor. It could just be whoever it is that their manager mm-hmm. um, is. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's true. The Wi-Fi, you know what I mean? Didn't they say it's like um, you can test it out with like a pizza party or something like that? Yes. Like get a pizza and then however much, you know what I mean? If you're like, I need to order two pizzas and that means you have too many people on your team or something. Yeah, in the room. Yeah, something like that. But uh, that's awesome. I really appreciate that um, analogy. And at the same time, I know it's kind of um, difficult for a lot of people to try to systematize, right? When it comes to this. So how did you come up with it? Did you seek help? I know you said you read traction, things like that, but like, how did you nail this? So I think the one thing that really helped me the most was joining a mastermind of people who were very like-minded or better than me, right? Or like better meaning um, have grown their organization a lot larger and were still sane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They didn't feel like crazy yet. So, um, so yeah, surrounding yourself with the people that have that same mindset and that are, that have achieved more than you is so inspiring. You know, you know how they say you never want to be the smartest person in the room because then you're (laughs) in the wrong room. Right. So I love to surround myself with really growth, like growth mindset, uh, people who really challenge me, um, to be better. And so, and, and I joined, um, the DEO, I think maybe like a few years ago, it's a mastermind group for dental organizations that are starting off. Um, and then I've joined other groups as well. Uh, and I think everyone's tea is different, right? They just, mm-hmm. some people um, like different groups, but I would say anything that challenges you, that makes you grow, 
is something that that is priceless. Yeah, I like that. Okay. And then right now with your practices, even if you could recall with like year one or your first practice, what were you doing for marketing and advertising and what did you stick with throughout this whole time? Um, so as far as marketing, we, um, we did a lot of just grassroots, you know, so we would go out in the community, set up tables. Um, we would visit pediatricians. I mean, we would go to events where our patient avatar would be, which mm-hmm. is anywhere with children, right? Or moms. And, and we still do that. I mean, we do a lot of preschool presentations. We do a lot of health fairs where moms are. And then, you know, as far as like spend on online marketing, we don't really do any of that. Most of it is just, I think, um, you know, asking for reviews and more grassroots. And we do a lot of um, like internal promotions for our current patients. Um, But, you know, to be honest, we don't spend a lot on actual like marketing. No, I think that's that's brilliant. Like the ground marketing, the grassroots marketing. When you went to these events, well, two questions. How did you get inside of like the the preschools and things like that? Like, what would you say? But the second thing is like, did you have an incentive that you would offer them for them to sign up or or no? No, we just called and asked. I mean, I think there's a power in asking, you know, like I said, asking for reviews, asking for like, hey, can we come to your school and do a preschool presentation? We'd give them little goodies like, like, you know, postcards and toothbrush and some branded stuff. Um, but you know, most of it was just being bold, putting yourself out there. You know, like when we go to now we have two full time marketing people, which we didn't have before. Marketing department when I first opened was me, <laughs> but which I still go sometimes. But they have more they, they have a lot more energy than I do now. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so as we've grown, you know, we have one um, social media person who goes get content and posts everything and. And then we have one person who does just PR, um, community events and like website. So as we've grown, we just wanted someone just strictly focused on social media, engaging with the families, doing contests. Um, and yeah, it's been good. It's been okay. good. Cool. Cool. So then you don't like when it comes to the health fairs, right? You don't really give out any, I guess, incentives or anything like that for people to sign up. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we do put them in a drawing, I think. Like if you book an appointment on the spot at the event, um, I think your name goes into a drawing for like a basket full of like dental stuff. I think like a toothbrush and all of that. But um, and I think we have like one of those wheels <laughs> that you spin that gives away swag. So okay. we do like little fun things like that. But um, but we don't have, I don't think like a coupon or or anything. Yeah. It's just more, um, our biggest goal is to book the appointment. So then mm-hmm. when we have our marketing team out there, you know, their key performance indicator is how many appointments did you book? Okay. You know, and that's how we know. How they and do. they normally show up or is it like a no show or like, what's the percentage on that? Um, I think they come. I mean, I don't know exactly the metrics, but... I mean, I don't think that there has been an issue with the no-shows. I mean, our cancellation rate is pretty low because we do like a, a pretty good job of making sure we have a confirmed schedule. Of course, people get <laughs> sick, you know, and kids get sick and and that just happens. But um, but this is part of like your systems, right? And processes like how firm is your confirmation schedule d- being done, right? And then if a few days before you have all these holes in the schedule, how are you going to fill it? 
you know, mm-hmm. so we have people in place that really make sure that we have a productive schedule, like different avenues. Okay. okay, interesting. So then if you could, from the moment, let's talk about from the moment you decided to open your startup, right? Till today, right now, what's been some of your biggest struggles or pitfalls? I wouldn't really call them struggles because I look at every, like, I feel like I am super growth mindset where I really don't stay down with, on something that bothers me because I think being an entrepreneur, you know things are going to happen. Maybe the first time, like, so I'll use this as an example. The first time I had to let someone go, I couldn't sleep the night before at all. Like I was mm-hmm. nervous. I was like crying. I wrote this long letter about how much I love this person and how I'm just so heartbroken. And then I remember when I let her go, I said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry I have to let you go. And she was just like, okay. And she walked out the door. And I was, I was heartbroken that she wasn't as emotional as I was. <laughs> I spent way too much time over this breakup than mm. she did, right? So going back to that and thinking of like where I am today, I realized that in order to be successful, you have to just know that things are not always going to go as planned and that it's going to be like a roller coaster, no matter you're in business for five years or 25 years, there's always going to be things that happen that are not going to be the way that you anticipated. But it's that shouldn't predict where you go, right? Like that should just be a part of the journey. Say, okay, this there's going to be something that happens. Like everything is smooth sailing right now. But I know in the next three months, it could be completely different how am I as a leader of my organization going to respond to any of these obstacles that come along the way? And so I never dwell on anything. Like if somebody leaves or if something happens, I always say, well, nobody died, right? Knock on wood. Okay. How are we going to fix this moving forward so that we don't make the same mistake again? What, like, how do we drop the ball on this patient that they're not happy with us? How do we put that into our system? So that way we make sure that we, dot that I or cross that T. And so we problem solve quickly and then move on. You know, we don't really dwell on anything because um, anything that happened in the past, because the more time you spend doing that, the more you kind of just bring yourself down and you're not able to focus on your future. And then there's so many people that rely on you to be in that right mindset. You know, like, yeah. I like that. Okay. Problem solve quickly. Right. Yes. And that's, I think, uh, I know for me, sometimes I'm same thing, like where you're like, oh my God, you dwell and dwell and then you're, you know what I mean? But you grew out of it, you know, so that's great. Oh, yeah. Fast. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. When it comes to you feeling personally burnt out, how do you cope with that? Delegate. There's just one exercise that I do at least quarterly. I try to do it monthly, but it's really simple and it helps keep me in a right mindset. But basically I write down everything I do from morning until night, like generally speaking. So like pack my kids lunch, check my email, check my Slack, uh, check in with people and my leadership team. And then I, I go through this whole list and I'm like, what is it that I don't like to do on this list? Like, what is it that I could delegate? So then, you know, for example, I wrote right now what's on my list is interviewing doctors because I love, I loved doing it, but now I get so many resumes, it's like very time consuming, but I know that, I mean, it's not something that I don't like to do, don't get me wrong, but 
it's not my favorite thing. It's kind of like a, you know. Yeah. Okay. And so then I put on here the name of the person who I'm going to delegate that to. And then I start making sure that I have another doctor on my team, sit with me on the interview, start training for that position. So then I can take that off my plate. So I do get asked that a lot. Like, oh, Mary, how do you do all of this? You know, like you're a mom, you open practices, you do a mastermind group. So as a hobby, I do a mastermind group too at night oh. a week just to help other women who are having a hard time with um, practice ownership, right? But then it's because I delegate a lot. You know, mm-hmm. like I have a few personal assistants. I have a lot of leadership team that helps run the operations of the business to where I really don't have to be here. You know, I could go for a few weeks and everything be fine. And it'd probably be even better than when I'm here because I have a lot to say and I take a lot of their time. But when I'm here is when the business is, you know, you know that people are happy and they're doing what, doing their job, what they're supposed to do. And your business is doing well. So it allows me to focus on the things that I really like to do, because if you don't like doing something, you're, you're taking away from things like things that you could be doing that ultimately are probably more beneficial to not only like your company, but to your family, right? Because you're doing mm-hmm. things that really, that you really enjoy. And so that's how I do it. I delegate very well. And I have a weekly focus and the focus is always who I need to hire that week to help me with something that I need to delegate off my plate. So are you always hiring? Um, right now, it's a nanny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, because they could change, right? Now it's a nanny. And I actually just filled the other position, another assistant, like personal assistant. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So then it's interesting you say that. You have a mastermind, right? You have an organization, multiple practices, right? Teams, all that stuff you have to deal with. What was the other thing you said you have? So I, oh, I'm a mom. You know, I have you're a mom. <laughs> okay, you. you. <laughs> he's, another, he's listening to this. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, so you're doing a lot. I mean, do you ever? I guess, and I know you do. I mean, a lot of us do, but have that like dad guilt or mom guilt kind of thing, and then, or do you not? I think I used to, but I think that every her parent, right? Whether they're mom or dad has a different level of time and attention with their children that works for them. Mm. You know, so I have friends that spend, that are stay at home moms and they spend their entire day with their children and they love it. And then I have some that spend all the days with their kids and they're screaming at them all day. And they're like, it's so stressful. (laughs) I don't know why I'm doing this. I need to go back to work. And so for me, my kids come home from after school care or sports or whatever it is at 5 p.m. And so 5.30, 6 sometimes. And I only have like two or three hours with them a day. But during that two or three hours, it's like quality time, mm-hmm. you know. So my take on that is, is the time that you spend with your kids, that's quality time. That's good for them and good for you means that you have that nice balance, you know, but if you say, oh, well, this person is spending like from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. and, you know, on social media, they're going to all the games and they're doing all this stuff. If you compare yourself to other people, then you're never going to feel like you're enough. I mean, there's always going to be someone who's more, has more practices, who's 
more attractive or who is better than you, right? Or like that you feel like um, you want to be like. But if you compare yourself to other people, you're always going to feel like you're not doing enough. So I just try to say, hey, you know what? Everybody has their level of work that works for them. And for the normal person, probably how much I work is going to be way too much, you know? But for me, I love it. And I think it keeps like, I've always worked like I do since I was a little girl and I, and I love what I do. So I don't feel like it's work. I really enjoy it. But when it comes to being a mom, if I were to spend morning to night with my kids, I really think that I would go crazy. You know, I do. (laughs) Like when my husband's not home and I'm with them for the weekend by myself, I'm like, this is not fair. You're working and I'm at home (laughs) with you. No, I get you. Yeah. So I think it's just different. You can't compare. No. Yeah. Okay. I I love that. I love that. I feel like sometimes we get boggled down into like what you said, that comparison mode where you're looking on social media, you start comparing, you're like, huh, I should. But then in reality, you're like, if I do it more than three hours, it's not going to be quality time with them. No, it's just going to be, they're going to be like, what are you doing? Get down. <laughs> you're just watching them watch YouTube the whole time. And you're like, all right, yeah, just watch YouTube right now. You know, kind of thing. Awesome. Mary, I appreciate that. If anybody had any questions or concerns or anything like that, where can they reach out to you? Um, You can find me on Instagram at drmarysam.com or drmarysam.com, drmarysam. That's that's where I met you, Michael. <laughs> or my email, drmaryatlollipopdental.com. Happy to help. Awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. So definitely reach out to Mary. Mary, thank you for being with us. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.